So hi everyone and today with you Dimitri and Vava and we're going to record our fourth episode of our podcast about transatlantic security. Welcome back to Civis Pacham. Yes, and international relations. And today we're going to dis- today we have quite a lot of topics to cover. Um, we start with the NATO summit that took place in London. Um, yes, and also a pretty important topic is the new European Commission and the European Union. Then we follow with the um, North Korean deadline that uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un gave to Trump. Um, and that's it. Yeah, all the topics very important for international security. So stay with us and we're ready to begin. Enjoy. So now first topic, I guess uh, like the most important, the bedrock of uh, transatlantic security is NATO and um, the anniversary summit, 17th anniversary summit that took place in London, in a historical uh, country that was a founding member of NATO. And it's very important because the NATO, ch- uh, NATO faces new challenges as old ones. And um, um, so, Vava, what's your impression of uh, NATO summit? Well, first of all, it's a very interesting topic because of the recent disunities that happened within the alliance. Uh, many, th- many think that nowadays NATO lacks a clear purpose. And since the end yeah. of the Cold War, they don't have a, one clear enemy that it's supposed to be aimed at. Yes. And this causes some disunity within the alliance. So this summit was supposed to show the world that the alliance is still unified, still one, and maybe work out a new policy and maybe a new purpose for the alliance to for the future. So do you think they were successful to develop a new purpose for the alliance? Well, uh, when we talk about new pub, new new aims uh, for the alliance, I would say pretty much yes, because uh, they adopted quite a few um, uh, policies. Uh, for example, uh, now they regard space as a as a domain, as a warfare domain, which is very important, I guess, uh, for the future development of uh, this field. Uh, but for example, now they consider China as a let's say is a threat i would say yeah for transatlantic security which is i guess very important taking into account that china is not in europe and this kind of new development in nato history i would say pretty historical um pretty historical event yes the topic of china uh, is very interesting that the members of nato agreed to mark china as a potential threat because yeah well it's obviously on the agenda of the united states because it's the us who is, has a rivalry with china uh, but i do not really understand what is the logic behind the europe's logic. approval of making china an maybe not enemy but a not a friend let's yes. say uh, currently i don't think that china has any agenda that doesn't go along with european agenda or collides anywhere uh, anyhow with European policy, yes, not, not not really. But the, as you mentioned, maybe it's uh, the US pushes this agenda because I mean, let's say burden of uh, this uh, confrontation. I mean, definitely uh, some European leaders, some Europe have different opinion about China. For example, Italy now is a part of Belt and Road Initiative, so yes. it's not so. Uh, it's not so. It, it doesn't really like. For example, Italy doesn't really oppose to China, and if you take, for example, Greece. And countries that are close to eastern border, like that's not the case for them. You know, they don't really like. They're not af- afraid of China. In, uh, instead, they see it's like investment. Like China is an opportunity that can invest in their countries. 
So I guess those who critique NATO might say that it's just a tool for (laughs) pushing American policy worldwide. Would you agree with this statement? Maybe yes, maybe yes. Uh, As we know, not all countries uh, spend 2% of their... Two uh, percent of the GDP on on military, yes, many and don't. maybe that's uh, some compromise. But in in general, yes, I guess it's uh, it's very interesting to um, just to to follow up this uh, this events, and especially when you see it from symbolic uh, perspective. Uh, this this unity was like, like almost every day, you know, since the summit be- uh, began. Um, that was that was just there. You could you could feel this uh, Macron versus uh, Trump, you oh, know, yes, Macron definitely. versus Erdogan, and it's very interesting. But I don't think it's a very big obstacle uh, for NATO. What do you think? Well, uh, you also mentioned Erdogan, which many thought he would be the main uh, person to obstruct the uh, the summit. He yes. uh, he was threatening that if NATO would not, if they didn't support the yes, exactly. uh, Turkish operation in northern Syria, then they would block uh, the new uh, packages of military <laughs> help for eastern flank of NATO countries yes. such as Baltic states and Poland. But in the end, he did not, even though uh, he he claimed he would. We do not know if there yes. have been any like <laughs> uh, you know any deals behind closed mm-hmm. doors officially. Uh, I think it was uh, Lithuania's government who said that Turkey did not reach out to them and did not offer anything for withdrawal of the uh, of yeah. the package. But I guess uh, Trump spoke to Erdogan and Polish president as well. So maybe there was some deal behind closed doors reached. Maybe. I mean, um, Turkey is under fierce criticism from Washington and from other European capitals because like, of its purchase of S-400. Yes, yes. And uh, I guess Trump publicly, publicly announced that they're going to impose sanctions uh, on Turkey. Maybe they're developing, maybe they're writing some agenda for this. Um, maybe this was a part of a deal. Who knows? I mean, yeah. Well, whatever happened, uh, on the outside, it looks like it was mm-hmm. a Pretty, pretty big uh, success for NATO because even though before the summit we had many disputes and disagreements. Yes, symbolically. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yes, but yeah. on the during the summit agreements were reached and no major obstructions and obstacles were encountered. So I think yeah. it's a huge success for NATO. And I think it may have a future still. Yes, I would pretty much agree with you, uh, and would say maybe because it was so pressing, you know, to meet like this anniversary. It's pretty like a big date, you know. Seven years. Not so many alliances. I mean, I, I guess not. Uh, uh, do we even have like such an alliance? In I history? don't think any yes, such alliance no, survived like so long. So long. So it was. Uh, you know, and it's very hard to for twenty one to twenty nine countries to to uh, yeah to cooperate so and to be uh, pretty much on the same page. Uh, so yes, I guess uh, I agree with you, and it was still a relatively big success in terms of uh, um, in terms of policies that they adopted, and now they're moving forward as uh, we are. As we are, <laughs> yes. Let's move on. <laughs> We move on to the topic of the new European Commission that has been appointed recently and started its uh, new term uh, at the beginning of December. So the new Commission, led by Ursula von der Leyen, faces some very uh, big challenges. 
Yeah. And they set some very big uh, agenda priorities. It's very ambitious, very ambitious. Uh, first of all, uh, the new president of the European Commission, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, she claims that she will propose a green deal for the European Union to greatly reduce uh, mm -hmm. carbon dioxide emissions and make uh, the European Union, uh, well, less impactful on the environment. Yes, greener place in the world. Yes. Right? So what do you think? Will they be successful in this endeavor? Well, uh, the difference between, you know, European Commission and uh, actual government is it's really hard to pursue this agenda because, I mean, European bureaucracy just, it doesn't, it just works differently from any other bureaucracy, any, like, state bureaucracy. And you need some kind of uh, unity uh, in Europe and unity between um, European members in order to implement this policy, of course. Um, but it's it's really ambitious, yeah. And uh, the vice president, who is of uh, the commission, who is responsible for that, Hans Zimmermann, is very famous uh, socialist, uh, one of the most famous, I guess, uh, socialist politicians in Europe. Um, let's see. But he's very ambitious, and this guy really can uh, uh, articulate his own position. So maybe it's gonna work. I mean, uh, it's important that uh, Germany gonna provide for the next year one-fourth of the whole European budget. Um, That's a big chunk. Yeah, so it's pretty much, it determines uh, what's going to be done. But also, we have to keep in mind that it, this project might, might face some opposition from the oh, yes. less developed countries of the European Union, which many of them rely on fossil fuel, fuels as their main source of energy. Especially for Poland, for example. Especially for Poland, yeah. exactly. The region of Silesia is hugely dependent on coal mining and coal energy sector. Oh, yes. uh, and even though it it isn't bringing profit for quite a while already, uh, the government still subsidizes it because it's vital for the economy, yeah, yes. basically. Uh, so they need to offer a very good alternative to fossil fuels because if there is nothing, yeah. then then it might not be possible to get support from many of the countries. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, uh, at least uh, we can be very glad that uh, European Commission, European Union kind of like, sets these uh, ambitious goals because I guess like if we talk about like something like constructivist agenda, and it's, it's really good to construct and to have this, I mean, goals at least because they're very good. I mean, they're pre pretty good for every European citizen. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is whether they're going to be achieved um, because it's another topic. It's, an, it's, it's European bureaucracy and it's how European Union works as an entity. So I would say another priority that uh, von der Leyen said um, is um, um, to make a European Union um, um, more vocal player in the international arena, not like as 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 a European Union as a as an entity in international uh, relations, which is really interesting. I don't know how they're gonna do this. Maybe they're gonna mm. grant more responsibilities to uh, the common uh, foreign bureaucracy that now European Union has. So let's see. Yes, but this is interesting. Will this mean? taking away some of the possibilities for basically conducting foreign relations yeah, for the member one. countries? Will this like infringe on their rights to conduct foreign policy? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. That's why, for example, Great Britain was also was uh, in the position to this idea of common uh, foreign minister and common foreign 
bureaucracy uh, of you like foreign bureaucracy of European Union because now uh, as I uh, as I understood correctly and now they're gonna have um, uh, so y you can basically go uh, to European Union uh, embassy in any country and get a visa you know for uh, so it basically mm, undermines uh, you know the rights uh, of uh, national government. That is very true, yes. Yeah, you can get a, a different country can approve people to enter your country, yeah, which is very interesting. This is very, very interesting. Um, but let's see how it goes. Uh, and uh, Well, I guess what you also mentioned about the Germany uh, contributing the budget, uh, it's, uh, it's, I guess it relates to the fact that Great Britain is leaving and thus a huge influx of money to oh. the budget will disappear. I can imagine, <laughs> yeah. Do you think this will be a big pro problem for the new commission? Yes, I mean, money is always a big problem, right? Of I mean, course, money, money and politics. From such a big country as Great Britain. Yes, I mean, in Great Britain, it's a paradox, but Great Britain, yes, it uh, uh, granted, it issued a lot of money, but at the same time, Great Britain was very successful in terms of managing European bureaucracy and having, like, a real impact on it. So maybe without, without Great Britain, it would be, you know, harder to actually get things done. Um, and it's also super hard to predict how European Union will work like without Britain. Yes. Um, so let's let's keep an eye on that. We will for sure. And we're going to the next topic. Let's move on. So, and the last topic that we're going to discuss is the approaching deadline uh, of North Korea to to um, strike some agreement with the U.S. Which they said this year when uh, negotiations uh, between the U.S. and uh, uh, North Korea collapsed in February, mm. and now we're approaching this deadline. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't. I don't think we're going to have <laughs> uh, some agreement before deadline. So, Vava, what's what's your idea? What to expect? Well, the idea of a deadline is funny already, just because it's a deadline without any consequences if yeah. it isn't reached. Uh, Pyongyang didn't set any uh, consequences yes. that would follow if the deadline isn't reached. I guess all they can do is just scrape all talks and uh, discussions and yeah. do not negotiate further. But Probably. what is there to negotiate? Both countries have terrible relations. Uh, they have totally different agendas. Yes. They are totally different countries. One is huge, one is small, one is capitalist, one is communist, yeah. one is democracy, one is a dictatorship. Uh, Honestly, I don't see any agreement being reached there. Yeah, me neither. But I mean, the only consequences that we probably have is just like the total rejection of any kind of negotiations from uh, North Korean side. Uh, that's what I see. Like one of the consequences, and as I understand, that's what the um, it's one of the ideas uh, because now I mean uh, it's articulated as you like the US and Washington uh, it has time to reach some agreement to, to strike a deal but if it doesn't if it doesn't really want to um, um, to relieve some sanctions from North Korea that's I guess the main concern of uh, of the US that it, it it rejects any uh, sanctions relief until North Korea completely um, uh, abandons its uh, nuclear program. It, it, Washington doesn't want to grant any sanctions relief. Uh, and what's uh, China and Russia like both insist on some sanctions, uh, um, so you know to help North Korea to develop its economy and so on. So I mean, let's see. Um, it's well, it's it's interesting that uh, North Korea has such a belligerent stance towards the U.S. I think it's in their 
uh, interest to to strike a deal with the U.S. And because very difficult, yeah. basically, uh, even though uh, North Korea is a threat to stability in the region, it is not a direct threat to the U.S. Even though they possess nuclear weapons, even though they possess ICBMs, it is not such a quantity that will pose yeah, a threat to the U.S. Honestly, the U.S. will be able to shoot down most of the missiles heading their way, and it will basically be a suicide for North yes, Korea I, to start any war with that's, that's true. the U.S. But it's also a matter of time when they're going to develop some uh, um, rockets that actually can reach uh, uh, American turf, so to speak. This is also true, but... Well, honestly, even if they developed uh, okay. very good missiles and in larger quantities, it's not going to be enough to no, no, destroy. Basically, it's... any military yeah. action against the U.S., maybe they could harm them, maybe quite a lot, but never destroy them completely. It will be just suicide for them. Yes, I guess so. probably in New Year we're going to come back to this pol pol politics of brinkmanship, so to speak. Yes. And just this, uh, you know, little rocket man and my bump is bigger. Maybe we're bigger going bump. to follow up some you know, new Twitter sensations from Donald Trump. Yeah, the bomb measuring con measuring contest. Yes, and um, Kim Jong Un. Kim so, Jong Un, interesting um, guy. Yeah, it was our last topic. It was indeed. Um, uh, I would say, uh, who follow uh, American politics uh, couldn't miss uh, the event that happened uh, this week when we recorded a podcast. Uh, I mean, actually, we recorded a podcast on. Uh, Sixth uh, of December, we did. Um, and uh, as you all know, probably Nancy Pelosi announced uh, uh, actually the impeachment procedure, and uh, now she requested uh, House of Representatives to draft articles of impeachment. And we're probably gonna have a vote, uh, uh, impeachment vote in House of Representatives by the end of the, this year. But I guess they want to push it before Christmas so that people have something to discuss over the Christmas. Yeah, table. that's what that's what they want. That's what their agenda. It's just like the last topic that we want to warp up because it's very important to um, give some updates and news that we already covered. And stay tuned. Um, we'll get back to you. See you next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.